You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, Russ and my Hammers 11. Hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and hitting the bell icon so you're made aware of any time we put new content on. Today's guest, well, what can we say about Mr. Holland? Uh, I think overall, something over 300 appearances he's made for the club. Um, 30, I wrote it down, 32 goals, 12 years, um, 1975 Cup final winner, um, scored in a 96, uh, 96, sorry, Pat, 76 European Cup winners' cup. Irish, <laughs> bless you. Yeah. <laughs> Against Um It is Mr. Pat Holland. We all know it is. How are you, Pat? Yeah, I'm very well. Welcome, Russ. Uh, and thank you for welcoming me to your show and look forward to the next half hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, absolute pleasure. How How's the... Um, How's the new world? This world coronavirus. How is it for you at the moment? Um, well, it's for me. It's it's been a little bit disappointing in so much that I was working for Arsenal as a senior scout for nearly coming on ten years, wow. and um, they brought it to an end with when they got rid of uh, maybe twenty personnel from the senior scout department. So that's difficult. Um, so what I'm doing at the moment, I'm working for an agent who's a nice fella and um, they're, they're sort of a bit scratching for players. So I'm going out, I'm watching a bit of non-league at the moment um, because it's very difficult to get in to watch games yeah. uh, in this climate. And unless you're associated with a club who can email and get you through the door, then it's it's quite difficult. But I've been, it's quite enjoyable. I've been to Avely and I've been to Brentwood. So I'll see how the other half live, and uh, I've quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm from Old Church, so I sort of get you know. Oh, sorry, get you apart. Yeah, yeah, that'll do me. Old Church. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, you got to think if unless you're associated with a club, getting into that because I mean, I mean, the Premier League games are only like 300 people allowed in the ground, isn't it? So um, sure. yeah, it must be really tricky. But as you said, non-league, and obviously a lot of people are going to non-league at the moment because it they can get in. Well, exactly. I mean, I'll, Brentwood, I thought maybe 400 there. I might be 
being over the top, might have been three to four hundred, but they they looked as if they were enjoying themselves and there's you know, they just want to watch a game of football and have a, and socialise. I think that's the main thing, isn't it? It's the socialising aspect. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's not about I mean, as you know, I've been to West Ham, it's not about the football for us, it's about the socialising and the drinking and, and meeting up yeah. with mates and uh yeah, yeah and, all, and even more so, you know, if the if the Premier League want you to pay fifteen quid to to for a pay per view match, I'd rather spend that down non league team, do you know what I mean? And uh, Yeah, and it, it supports them as well, which is great. Yeah. You know, when you go there you you feel as if you're going back to a tradition of football in many respects. Yeah, is, you know, I mean, it's great to go to a Premiership game. We know that the atmosphere, um, but to go there, that they're, they're, you know, they're they're true supporters as well in many respects. Yeah, they are definitely, you know, and hardened supporters, isn't it? Because as you said, yeah. they're going all over the way. No, they don't get no, you know, seats. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> seats. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's no niceties. No. No, well, that's like that's like because I because obviously I, I I work at the, at the club, so I'm obviously I, I and I I've worked there for many years, and so I never get to watch a football game properly. Do you know what I mean? So my 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 daughter, obviously we live in Ornchurch, so we weren't too far away from Rush Green, so we'd go and watch the ladies play West Ham yeah. Women's, and that was my sort of back to roots. You know what I mean? Shouting sure. at the referee and, and <laughs> hollering and screaming. Yeah. You get plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly non-league as well, but that's yes, brilliant, man. Yes. Yeah, and that, yeah, because so, yeah, you said, I remember Arsenal, yeah, they put a load of redundancies out, including the mascot, wasn't it, famously as well? Yeah, the mascot bit the dust as well, but I think he's been rescued by himself. Um, yes. but it was that was it was a uh, disappointing because um, yeah. I'd, I'd, a friend of mine was a chap called Steve Rowley, who was the chief scout at Arsenal, who was a great West Ham supporter um, in the 70s and 80s. So we had an affinity because he would watch the sides that I played in. And if was out of work, which uh, occasionally did happen in football. Uh, he would come to the rescue, and I'd go and do a bit of scouting for him at Arsenal. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're an excellent club. And uh, listen, I had a great time there. And these things just happen. You know, it's, it's there's a lot of people out of work, and uh, it's just one of those times, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate. And it was. Yeah, it said it's even even tougher as well now because obviously you know with all the lockdowns and, and different sure. restrictions every everywhere as well. Yeah. It's even tougher, yeah. isn't it? And so yeah. that's why we have to do it on. That's why we have to do it on this little thing. <laughs> yeah. But we managed to sort it out, didn't we, Pat? Eventually, so yes, it's, all good. it's all it's all good, and it's very easy yeah. once it's up and running. Um, anyway, let's go back. Let's go back to. You know, the, let's go back to to the West Ham days because um, that's what this channel's about. That's what everyone wants to know about and find out. About. Sure. Um, now, for for any fan that comes on, I ask about why they're a West Ham fan, and for the players, I ask about you know joining the club and stuff like that. So that's what we'll, we'll do with you. So obviously, you know, you're a popular boy. If I if I yeah. get my yeah popular boy. So was it always going to be West Ham? Um, no, because I was an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> that's what I thought I was going to say. Yeah, and um, my first game, believe it or not, my uncle Tom took me to watch West Ham play Fulham, which I believe Jimmy Hill played in, and West Ham won 6-0. So that would have been about 58, I believe, that time. So then, um, obviously, I got interested in football. My dad took me over to the Arsenal, and they were playing Man United, and I was a Man United supporter by that time. Bobby Charlton and your kids growing up. 
And um, and the Arsenal beat them five one, I believe. I think it could have been round about the time of Munich, but when you're a little and you don't understand that. So my father, who's an Arsenal supporter, said, "Look, you can't see Man United every week, but we can watch the Arsenal on a regular basis." So I become an Arsenal supporter. And on the estate where I lived, it was ninety nine percent West Ham, and the rest was me, Arsenal. So it was a difficult environment, and West Ham were a bogey side to the Arsenal round about that time. Um, it took me over to the Arsenal to West Ham one evening, and you won't—you're too young to remember. It was Guy Fawkes night, and it was 1960, and um, West Ham beat the Arsenal six 0 And my father, who's a dock worker, uh, met up with his mates in the chicken run. So we were standing on the wooden platforms. I had my red and white scarf on and my bobble hat and rattle. And uh, he said, my dad, he said, as the goals went in, you got lower and lower. And in the end, you were sitting on the old wooden platforms. Um, which brings us forward a few years because uh, I made my debut against the Arsenal. Yeah. And um, those very fellas that were still with my dad that evening watched the game. And one of them said, who's in the seven, the kid playing outside right? He said, that's Patsy Holland's boy, young Patsy. The boy that stood with us wow. nine years earlier, you know, and it was just incredible, really, to think it had gone that far, you know. Um, so I think once you put a shirt on, that's the end of it, you know. Uh, my interest in Arsenal was sort of there, but once you put the shirt on, you're playing for a club and you're representing them and you're 100% all the way with that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? That sort of yeah. like nine years, that serendipitous sort of, like, oh. you know, circle of life type. That's inc- absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, and obviously before before you made your debut, um, you know, was there other clubs potentially looking at you or? Was no, it, always... it was, I was, I was quite late. I, I played for East London and yeah. in and out the side from about 12 on to 15. So there was two years gap when I never played for East London, but I got back in. Uh, my school, which was George Green's, I don't, it's gone over the Isle of Dogs now, but it was down the East India Dot Road. Sure. Uh, it was a lovely school, it was grammar school. Um, and they were the only grammar school that played football in that area, strangely enough. Um, anyway, I got back in the East London side and we played someone, a chap called Arthur Lamb, who's passed away, bless him, yeah. uh, see me and, and spoke to Wally St. Pierre. And Wally come and watch East London versus um, All Crikey. I'm trying to think of the district near Tottenham. It's gone out of my head. Anyway, um, Wally went there and he was going to look at the number eight, uh, but he didn't like the eight, he liked the ten. And what it was, there was a boy called Billy Gardner and for some reason we swapped shirts in the dressing room before the game. And I had that number shirt and Wally tells a story that uh, Bill Nick, who, who lived not far from the the, uh, the the stadium that hosted the game, because uh, Bill Nick lived, lived near Tottenham Stadium, believe it or not, amazing, in a terraced house. He said Bill was at the game and he, he quite liked the boy Holland who was playing with the 10 shirt and so did Wally. So he said it was a race to get there first and Wally, Wally won the race. And he come up, he was a big man, intimidating man, great big hands, and he frightened me a little bit. And he said, I'd like you to come down to West Ham and train. And uh, you can't say no, you know. And uh, I just said, yeah. 
and uh, and I went. My first evening was on a Thursday night, and I went with my duffel bag, and I went into the main stadium. And as you walked in, all the boys were warming up outside. Only there was no, it wasn't organised. They were just re getting ready for training, and uh, I can remember it to this day. As I walked in, there was a lad called Kevin Bliss who played for Newham, and he flicked the ball up and caught it on the back of his neck. And I thought, I can't do that. I thought, should I turn back? And uh, anyway, I was brave. I went all the way. And my first coach that night was John Law, wow. who I still feel was the best U-team coach I've ever seen or heard by by country mile. You know, I'm a great manager, but I'll, I'll have to look at people and see if they're U-team coaches as well. And his manner and the way he spoke to young players was fantastic. Mm. So that was my introduction to West Ham, which wasn't a bad one. That's not a bad one at all. And, no. obviously from, and then obviously you went on to have a, a 12 year career at the club, you know, and it's, Certainly, yeah. and, and, you know, now, I mean, nowadays, I mean, obviously, you know, back, back in that era, playing the testimonial year and it was, was, was common practice really. Like nowadays, like people like Mark Noble and, and the exceptions to rule, isn't it? You don't get to players yeah. hanging around for many seasons, unfortunately. No. But obviously, and it's a shame, isn't it? I think, because you don't get that sort of, yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I went from a, a playing career into a coaching career, so I've experienced both sides of it, really. I mean, I, I was, believe it or not, I was coaching at the age of 17 at West Ham. John see something in me, um, and he encouraged me to come and work with the kids. They were 11s and 12s. And um, I would travel from Poplar, I'd finish training, go home, and then get the, the bus, because I wasn't driving then, and the train to Chad Relief to do the Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And then as it progressed, I had my own centre in um, All Crikey going out towards Tilbury. Okay. And I would take kids from that area on a Tuesday and Thursday night as a player. So I trained on the Thursday, taken for a couple of hours. And then on the Saturday, I'd be playing in the first team. It just, it's amazing, really. But John encouraged me to do that. And it was great because what it did, it gave me a career out of, not outside of football, but a yeah. further career in football. Oh, yeah. through injury yeah and and that's the thing isn't it that's just it's just that was obviously i wasn't around for the last years or the greenwood years at all so no. you know hearing all these stories about you know obviously he saw something in you at 17 that yeah. he nurtured it's just incredible absolutely yeah. incredible. yeah yeah and it was a tradition at west ham mm. Um, to do that, they had all the players, if they could, to get them to coach in the schools in the afternoon. I think mainly to stop them going down the pub <laughs> in the afternoon. But Ron really encouraged that. And I, my first experience was at a school called Shipman, uh, which was a tough school over in Canning Town. And I went and I thought, blow this. I mean, <laughs> you've got to remember, I was only 18, 19. Yeah. So the, the, the kids there were like coming up 16, 17. So they weren't too far away from my age and then from there, I went to Plasto Grammar, which was a marvellous school. And uh, I coached there for two years in the afternoons. But um, at, around about that time, Paul Brush was a student, believe it or not, at that school. He can remember me coaching. And he went to be a good coach. Alan Kerbisley would be around that era. Kerbs was doing a bit of coaching in his as a player later on. Uh, Frank Lampard did a bit, but I think business got in the way. It was an encouragement uh, that by the coaches and the manager that really set the precedent for that type of thinking at West Ham. Yeah, 
Definitely. And I think and by, by all accounts, I've interviewed quite a few people in the in the co- ex-players who are still in the, who are in the coaching staff, like Kevin Keane and, and Zavon Hines yeah. and Paul Kincheski. And they and again, every year group apparently has a West Ham professional or ex-player in the setup now. So it's yeah. so they're obviously It's a tradition. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? And um, I think because what it does, it what what you basically was doing as a coach, you'd be you'd be teaching them what you'd learnt that morning from your coach. Yeah. So it just it was like it seems common sense now, but it was it was great because you you could chat and talk to the boys. If they come into West Ham, they'd be ready for that type of coaching. Yeah. So it was marvelous. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and obviously before and obviously the, the the playing career. I mean, you know, again, not not a lot of. West Ham, particularly in recent history, haven't haven't won a lot. <laughs> to be fair, um, yeah. and and obviously the nineteen seventy eight seventy five rather FA Cup final. Um, you know, as a player, what's it like? What's it like walking out a cup final at Wembley? Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's something you can't really explain. I mean, the nearest I've got to it, and it, it's it's the um, the film Gladiator, okay. and when I watched it. It sort of thought, blimey, doesn't that resonate? Um, you you're there. I mean, the day's too much, really. There's a lot going on. And then you, you, I think we met the Duke of Kent before and shook hands. But it's when you break away that you experience. You you basically break away on your own. I mean, things have changed now. You watch them warm up. It's it's, it's they're a tighter group. We broke away individually to warm up because you don't have about five minutes. And I, as I broke away, I just looked up because the whole arena's there. And you thought, Christ, and it does for a moment. It, it makes you, it takes us, the guts out of you, really. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, you've got to get to grips with it quickly because in a few minutes' time, the referee's going to blow the whistle. But when I see the film Gladiator and they go into the arena, slightly different, they're fighting for their lives, and uh, they look around and think, oh, here we go. And it was like that. It's just an amazing experience. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And And, and obviously, you know, won that. Obviously, then we went to the Cup winners. He was in there next the following year. You scored in the final. Um, again, you know, that's that must be like a step up, or you know, because obviously the FA Cup is the FA Cup, and then to get to the Cup winners Cup final the year after. Um, you know, obviously for you, you guys, you've experienced the FA Cup final, um, but that must be in another level, was it? Um, I think yes and no. I think I'd, if you said to me what. What do you remember most of your career? I would say the Wembley day. Yeah, yeah. That shadow of a doubt. It was just fantastic. I mean, it's a kid's dream to play there. I hope they don't walk with the competition down because it's it's to to the British at least, it's one of those great traditions. Definitely. Um the European Cupman's final was was again exciting. We got through the final. Um and I managed to score in that, which was, you know, you, you can't lose that memory, no. whether you want to or not. <laughs> Uh, it was mixed emotions. I'll give a penalty away, which I, I didn't think well, on the night. They had a player you, you might remember called Robbie Rensenbrick, who was actually played for the Dutch uh, World Cup side that lost to Germany that 1970, I believe. He was a good player. And um, he just got away from me, and I, I nicked it. I got a toe-ender. So the ball goes away from him. He gets up and chases the ball, but the referee gave a penalty. And um, so... That, that sort of, that's mixed emotions because to score, and I should have scored a little bit later with a headache, come across, I didn't get hold of it properly. So, but to play in a final like that, again, 
you know, with with everyone because in those days everyone watched the final on telly. There wasn't yeah. you know, football that we see today, Russ. So for those games, are very very special for everybody in the country. So it was a massive audience watching it, and to score in it is you know it's you know wonderful. Yeah, exactly, and it just and you know all those, you know everyone talks about you know. Eintracht Frank Frankfurt sort of oh, semi final, yeah, yeah. and everyone's been there. Apparently, everyone was there. By <laughs> everyone, everyone I interview, oh, I remember Frank. Really? Because there's only about how many tens of thousands were there, but this is about hundred thousand were there by the sounds of it. But I mean, yeah, it was just some, you know, it's a, and obviously, I, you know, looking back at things, obviously we've had a lot of spare time in our on our hands and lockdown. Going back and watching, you know. The, the games and 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 reliving the goals and stuff it just it was a special time particularly for West Ham fans that sort of time and uh, I mean you obviously from 69 all the way up to 81 I mean that yes. was that was a that was a nice time to be a West Ham fan I would suggest to be yeah it was it was exciting times and it was different um because the stadiums then I think the north and south bank weren't seated then if I remember rightly yeah. uh the Eintracht Frankfurt game still is one of my greatest memories it was just electric i mean it for those who actually played in it that that's the game we talk about all the time because the conditions the crowd who knows how many were in there we don't know it was just it was rocking and when we come out they started to sing bubbles and i remember being alongside the german defender that i played against in the in the first leg out in in germany uh, in Eintracht and he looked at me and he was a tallish lad and I could see his face and it frightened him and it frightened me I don't know about him but you, the airs on the back of your head went up it was just it was incredible and and Brookin good old Trev that night had one of them games where he couldn't do anything wrong you know and the goal he scores was wonderful but it, it was just a great victory and it was an exciting game they had two World Cup players in their side Roboski and I can't remember the name of the other one. I should do. Um, so they were a good, they were a good side, yeah. you know. And and we and on the night, I think the crowd took us through. You know, it was, it was electric. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's, You look at those, you look at those sort of. Um, I don't know what to call them, older games, but games from the past. It's like the crowd just seems to just be on another level. You know, it just seems when they're, I mean, you know, when anyone, when the West Ham crowd are up for it, they're up for it. Oh, they? and this is, well, I experienced it recently. I was a guest for the opening of the Billy Bond stand. Of course, yeah. But we all come out on the pitch and form night a corridor of honour. Yeah. And, um, and so you're out there. And it, you're part of it now because the teams are beginning to run out for the start of the game. Newcastle they play. Yeah. You're in. You're on the side of it, but you're there, and it was unbelievable. And Bill got very emotional on the day, yeah. and it meant so much to him. But I think it meant a fantastic amount to the supporters as well. Yeah. There was only going to be one winner that day, and it wasn't going to be Newcastle. No. You know, and and the crowd flattened Newcastle. You could sense it that the the atmosphere and that's why people can't understand about the results we're getting in today's game i know i'm diversing a little bit but to play in front of empty stadiums takes the soul out of football yeah it does doesn't it i mean yeah. you've got i mean interview obviously a lot of players like yourselves and obviously more and you know, some some of the modern era players as well and they say you know sometimes 
you know, the crowd gives them. And you said about the, the Eintracht Frankfurt, you know, the crowd basically pulls you over the line. It's like, you know, yeah. they're saying, you know, I'm feeling a bit rough, you know, a good 15, 20% the crowd could get, give us, you know, to keep us going. And um, that's the one thing I think people miss, but some, some players flourish in it, don't they? Because they don't ha- get the players up against their back. So the fans. Well, I had, um, I had an interesting call from, I think it was LBC. Uh, as I get older, my memory goes a bit. And it was because I'd played in the game when we played um, uh, the Spanish side. Oh, behind the closed doors game, yeah. Yeah, um, the B-side to, to Real Madrid. Yeah. And uh, I played in that, so they, they said, would you come on the show and just try and tell us about your memories of that, that evening? Uh, and so I, uh, <laughs> the first question he asked me, he said, what did the coach say before the game? <laughs> I was 40 odd years ago, 45 years ago. I said, I can't remember. No. So you can't remember? I said, no, I can't remember. I said, I can remember going out as a player onto the pitch and trying to collect your thoughts on on how you're going to approach the game. Because um, it's purely an individual thing, whether you like it or not. You know, it's how people... Mm react to that that sort of situation. And I said, I ended up having one of the best games I've ever had in my life at West Ham. There was, there was no one there. But as I drove out after the game, there must have been about 50 supporters at the bottom of the, as we drove out the car park, and they're all banging on the car, well done, you know, great game. And they just listened to it on the radio. And I just smiled to myself. But you thought, you know, there again is that emotion. They want to be part. And um, so it was a unique night, but it wasn't a, a great night in terms of enjoying the game as such. There was no, there was there was pressure, but there was no pressure from the crowd, etc. Yeah, yeah, it is. and it was Castilla. Castilla, Castilla well remembered. And, I, and I, no, I've just googled it because <laughs> because I, I was pretty sure it was, but I didn't want to say it. And I think that was yeah. the best. That was our biggest ever European victory as well, our club record. So. Yeah, yeah. So yes, so there we go. But yeah, no, it is weird. It's very strange. I mean, I go there. Obviously, I, I, I as I said, I'm one of the 300 at the Premier League games at the moment at London Stadium. And you know, obviously, you've got this bowl of a stadium, and there's literally like, well, yeah. it's so quiet. I can hear the journalists typing on their laptops. Do yeah, you know what I mean, it's, it's I so weird. It's it is. Weird. It's strange times. It is. It is. But at least football's on, and it gives us something to moan about, doesn't it? Rather than absolutely, the news. absolutely. So. It is a yeah. distraction, but anyway. Anyway, talking about distractions, um, that's what this whole channel's about, really, to be for. Um, but but anyway, let, let's go and talk about, about your um, your eleven, your hammers eleven. So as I said, Pat, everyone we've had on the channel, we whether they're an ex-player or a fan, we get them to pick their eleven. So for the players, you get to pick from the eleven that they played with during their time. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, you have quite a good spread of players from yeah, 1969 to 81. Which is good but bad at the same time because you know there's too many to pick from. So that doesn't make it easier. No, and I and I can imagine there'll be lots of noticeable mentions. That that's that, that's yeah. how players get away with it. I'm going to pick this one, but I'd also like to mention as well, just so yeah. you don't get annoyed. So that's what we'll do. So um, we'll start off in goal, Pat. In goal for the for the Holland eleven. Who are we going to have? Well, there's there's only two I can choose from, and um, that would be Mervyn Day, who I played. For with in the 75 and 76 finals and obviously Phil Parks. Um, I'd seen a lot of great West Ham keepers um, as a young boy 
and as I grew older, but we're going to pick one of those two. So I would have to go for Phil, although I thought Mervyn was an excellent keeper as well. Yeah, and it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, wasn't yeah, I mean, yeah, someone like Parksy as well was like the world record holding, you know, yeah. <laughs> highest transfer yeah. fee sure. for in essence a championship yeah. player. It's it, it's crazy when you, th- you know, championship team really, uh, yeah. West Ham. Well, it's just crazy when you think about how much money you know dead. Oh, yeah, oh, I know. Compared to nowadays, right? Okay, we'll put, uh, we'll put, uh, top top he was and a top bloke as well, as well. You know, lovely guy. Well. Well. Um, yeah. And obviously, much like he, he, and he's just turned seventy yeah. as well. I know. Um, so yeah, same as you, <laughs> same as yourself. Anyway. <laughs> but, he, but he grew, he grew the mullet back for his for his birthday. It's all right. Yeah, yeah still all right. There. <laughs> Unlike some of us, and I, you know, I just have half your age, and I've got less there. Anyway, um, let's go into. Are we going to play four at the back, or are we going to play something? What are we going to play? I'm going to go with a, a, a solo four. Nice. And yep. um, again, I want to throw another name in, although I'm not going to pick him to disrupt you. I thought John McDowell was an excellent player. He yep. could play right back, he could play left back, he could play centre half, he could play centre midfield. Wow. I had a conversation with John Lyle about him one day because John came to Spurs for a little spell when he lost his job at, at, at West Ham. Terry Venables got him in because of his knowledge. Hmm. Spoke about John McDowell, and and he said he had the potential to be a top, top player. So we, we never went any further than that. But my choice would be my old mucker, Ray Stewart, yeah. um, the fiery Scotsman at right back, <laughs> who was a great lad. Um, we worked well together as a unit. Um, I'd try and get back and, and gang up. I remember we played Knott's Forest one night and uh, John Robertson was playing left wing and Ray was holding him up and I'm scurrying around and, Robertson turned around to me and said, can you do me a favour and stop chasing back? <laughs> I said, well, I won't chase you back if you don't chase me back. And it was a bit of a laugh, and it was great, but supporters don't see that. But yeah. Robertson was, a, was an, an excellent player, good defender. I think he developed as a player at West Ham, mm-hmm. uh, and he had a love of the club. I always find this, when you meet up again, there's certain players have a love of the club, yeah. and Ray's one of those. He's... He, He's a West Ham boy, and and yeah. uh, it means a lot to him to have played for the club. Definitely, so be my right back. Definitely, and you still can't understand what he says anyway, so it's even better. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony Gale keeps setting him up. Exactly. Go on, then. Raise, raise in. Who's next, then, Pat? So alongside would be Alvin Martin. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I remember as a little boy coming into the side, young Alvin. Of course, yeah. And he was a very, very talented uh, kid. Uh, took too many touches on the ball in training, but he developed into being a, a top player. Uh, we're going over there one night. I think it was Newcastle he was playing for Shearer, and Alvin was marking him. I think Alvin by that time was a bit of an elder statesman. Yeah, he kept leaning on him without even jumping and winning the ball in the air. Alvin, it was just it was a it was just great to watch a man who knew what he was doing. Yeah who was on top of his profession. Um, and if he'd been a little bit quicker, who knows? Who knows? But, again, that, that he would be my centre-off. Yeah, and similar to Ray, you know, they're both, you know, yeah. tied to the club, despite from not coming yeah. around these parts. You know what I mean? It's, it's sure. lovely. Yeah, Yeah. right. So, okay, so Alvin's in. Who is next then, Pat? Well, that's, that's a no-brainer, as you know. Yeah. 
Bobby Bobby, Bobby yeah. Moore, who in uh, my first, my debut, all the three World Cup players played in that game against oh, him. Wow. So that was a wonderful experience just to be with them on the pitch. Yeah. He was a very quiet man. Um, he never shouted at anybody. He just looked at you, which was enough. Yeah. <laughs> it could cut you in half. But yeah, <laughs> presence. He, uh, if he walked into the dressing room, it was Bobby Moore. It was. He was a celebrity of that time. You know, I mean, he was the icon of the country. He was a blonde, good-looking fella, but he was a fantastic footballer, um, and he could adapt to anybody in society, no matter where he went, it would feel comfortable, Bobby. I remember going down there one day in the summer, it must have been early 70s, just before he went, and uh, I went there to do a little bit of training on my own, and um, all of a sudden the door opened, and he walked in with Carlos Alberto. So I've got the England captain, and I've got the Brazilian captain, great, and 70 side. And he introduced me to Carlos Alberto, and I just thought, if, <laughs> if you only had your camera with you, now. Yeah. That'd be one of the old uh, selfies. Phone yeah, selfies. Yeah. So Bobby would be. Well, there's no, no doubt. He's the, the top man for that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Bob's in. And and who's the last piece of defence then? Then Pat. I, I'm going to go for Frank because I thought he had a Frank Lampard great Western career. Um, he was a a tough boy, Frank. Um, I'd be maybe. Uh, finishing training and he'd come up and go, what are you doing this afternoon? It, it wasn't a, a request, it was demand, really. And I'll go, and I was in my 20s. I'll go, well, I'm, I ain't got to do anything today. All right, hang around then. You can come and knock a few crosses for me. And he defended the far post. So a bag of balls, a two of us, I'd ping about 30 over and he just got edit, edit the balls. And he, he installed that in, in his son, young Frankie, that that yeah. desire yeah. to be a top player. And you could never beat Frank in running if we were across country. If we go right and the, 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 the path was a bit tight, it'd push you in the bushes to stop you going past him. That was how competitive Frank was. But he was, uh, he was, he was better than that. Technically, he was very good. Yeah. Got his distances right. He had a bad break when he was a young man. Mm. And he overcome that. I was at the club when he broke his leg. And he overcome that. So he would be my choice at left back. Mm, that is a solid back four. <laughs> yeah. Or back five with Parksy. Oh, very, yeah. very solid. Right, let's move into the midfield then, Pat. Um, you, you go through the, your 11 as you want well, to, man. Being a coach, I sh, I sh, I'm a traditionalist. I'm 4 4 2, but I'm not going to go this, with this one. I'll <laughs> balance it only just to get the players in. Go for it. Only midfield player. So the four would be my old mate, Billy Bonds who could play anywhere, really. Um, and a, a, just one of the greats of the club. Uh, just a, a, as a person, you couldn't wish to be a nicer man. I'm sure you know, Russ, and you've met him. Um, but he, he was a, a titan for West Ham. He was physically strong. I remember him saying, Dutch, Dutch, he said, they don't give me enough credit. He said, I'm technically better than they think I am. And he got 14 to 15 goals that year from midfield. Yeah. And I went, Bill, you've got, I think you've got about 15, 16. I said, Bill, you've scored 16 goals from midfield. <laughs> you've got to be a good player. And that's what he was. He, he was everything that West Ham, after Bobby left, 
it was the ideal fit. Different types of player, obviously, but a but a great, great West Ham player. Yeah. And he sort of and and by as you said, didn't really think about that really, but obviously he taking over the mantle from from you know from Bobby. Uh, yeah. and 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 he sort of was the right player for that era, wasn't he? He was more sort of like because the, the game was more sort of, you know, you think of the dirty Leeds team and, and you know, yeah. and he's like he yeah, was yeah. like a swashbuckling midfielder and he was right for what you know, the sixties, you know, it was all about you know, it was obviously Moro was a stylish player, and it was yeah. the game was very stylized. Then it became a bit not tougher, but there was like it was more, more about the dirty leads and people having fights and stuff. Like that. Were very aggressive. Yeah, there was a lot. Exactly. Of, there was a lot of strong sides at that stage. Yeah, yeah. people don't so, realise, and no, the game no. was different. There wasn't mm. referees were a little bit more lenient, let's say. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right, we we'll put yeah. Bill in. Um, okay, Bill's in. Who's next then, Pat? Right. Um, so to the left of that that yes. three, I'm going to put Trevor, and and Trevor tended some for some reason to to drift quite a bit. If you watch the games and you really analyse him, he drifted a lot to the left. Um, I just I remember as a kid going through the door, and my I come home from training the first week, and my dad said, "Who's the best player?" Expecting him to say, "Urse Peters or more," and I went Trevor Brooking, and he went, "Oh right," and. Um, he had something as a young man. It, it took him a little bit of time to to get into the side. I think he was about 21 when he really established himself because they played him at some stage up front. Ron Poem was a striker. So I kind of worked that one out. In today's game, it might have fit in. But he, had, he just had a, a wonderful ability. His awareness was incredible. That, that's a gift, the awareness. You can't coach that. Um, he had this ability, as you know, to let the ball run when he marked. He'd he done me and Bill in training one day, and we're both looking at one another, thinking, where's he gone? And he's off down the road behind a newspaper. So that was Trevor. And, uh, you know, I think I always say to people, he got 100 goals in his career, which is phenomenal for me. That's without the ones that he uh, created. Yeah. So top top player and a, and a, a good good man to boot. You know, he's a, whenever you see him, he's got the old chortle hair, <laughs> typical posh, but a lovely man and a great West Ham player again. Yeah, exactly. And, and he obviously was was Bill's henchman, wasn't it? Or Bill was Bill was Brookings henchman. You Bill, know, so Bill was his, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Bill looked after everybody. Yeah, I can imagine. Right, okay. Trev's in. Who is next then, Pat? Well, this is a chap that I I was in the room one day with Steve Rowley, the Arsenal chief scout, and who walked in Wenger. So I had this thing about Arsenal having a holding midfield player. And um, so I'm trying to convince Wenger that we should be looking for uh, a holding midfield player. And I, I mentioned the England World Cup side, of which the one who was a holding midfield player was Nobby Stiles. And Steve Rowley said to me, he's a bit young, he said, he wasn't very good, was he, Styles? I went, Steve, I said, he was a top player. I said, he could break play up, he could pass. I said, he was ideal for that position. I said, but England had a player, I said, they had three world-class players. I said, they had Gordon Banks, they had Bobby Moore, they had Bobby Charlton. I said, but there was a player there who I thought, and I still do to this day, think he's a world-class player. And that's Martin Peters. Yeah, yeah. And just, he was, I can remember him as a kid going to the club, Technically top, top drawer, six foot plus in height, graceful, timing off the ball. You can't coach it. He was 
different class. And for me, it's got to be an inside, my opinion. Yeah, 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 you're right. And and it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Obviously, you know, everyone's had the, had the replays of the 66 World Cup and stuff yeah. like that. And as you said, yeah, your debut, you had all three of them. I mean, you're, yeah, I you're know. Playing, yeah. In, absolutely incredible, man. Absolutely yeah. incredible. All right, so Martin's in then. Martin Peters is in, bless him. Um, who's next? Who have we got next? Right, well, I'm going to go lopsided now, there was, which has messed me up a little bit. So <laughs> I'll put my winger in. Oh, no, I'll put my striker in. I'll put my striker yeah, in. Call him. Obviously, Jeff Hurst, um, who's got to be in any West Ham side. Yeah. Um, World Cup winner, three goals. Uh, I can remember watching him from the, the side as an apprentice and his timing, uh, his movement. I got quite friendly with Frank McClintock when I was at Tottenham because he was big muckers with Terry Venables. And we spoke about Jeff Hurst. And he said, we could not mark him, the back four that he played in, Frank, which was a good Arsenal 70 side that won the double. Mm. said his movement, his, his timing of his runs, he said, we tried to catch him offside, we tried this. He said, can never, ever catch the man out. And he's uh, he was a fantastic player for West Ham at that time. Yeah, he was. He certainly was. Uh, yep, Sir Jeff. I actually had a, I actually once met him in a in a toilet. There we go. Right. <laughs> I was in the, it was in a three man cubicle. I was in the middle. Yeah. I had Sir Jeff and I had Sir Clive Woodward on to my right. Oh, blimey. The, the most yeah. regal piss I've ever had in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Sir Jeff Simbless. Okay. Who is next? Then we've got two more sports. Right. Well, I, I would have this, this fella in, but I never played with him, so I can't. Okay. Um, the fella I would have in is Johnny Byrne. Yeah. Who I was fortunate to watch the night that we beat Leeds seven nil. Wow! The uh, I think it was either the league or the League Cup, and um, he was just different class. Uh, balls were going in to him. He was controlling them on his chest and volleying the ball out to Braidbrook or Sissons either side. Yeah, man. Um, and he turned up West Ham one day. Been out to South Africa, and this little fat man turns up. And Ron introduced him to the, the group. We all knew he was. It was it was Johnny Bird. Yeah. And we used to play in these tight squares, 3v3. Um, and he said, uh, Budgie's going to join in with us today. So he went with Bill and Trevor. So one, two, three. And I can't remember who I was with, another two. And we could not get the ball off him. I mean, his one touch and two touch, even at that age, was fantastic. But I can't put him in, but I wanted to mention him. So there you go. There you go. I want to go for is Pop Robson. Yeah. Um, who I did play with. And- Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.